0: In this episode, I'm going to talk about the Mithras rule that causes me the most headaches in a hope that one of you can help me with it, and I admire the skills of all you players. Welcome to the Mithras Matters Podcast, Season 1, Episode 53, Player Skills and Ranting That Rule. Hello and welcome to Mithras Matters, a podcast dedicated to the Mithras rule set and all its supplements. And as always, I am your host, Inwills, and welcome to January 2024. Happy New Year. So if I sound a little bit husky, please do not adjust your listening equipments. I'm recovering from a sore throat and a cough. Yeah, don't worry. I tested It wasn't COVID. So one of these years, I'm going to be super well organized and actually record January's episode before Christmas. I usually take a week off creating content over Christmas. This is due to the need to recharge my creative batteries, but it's also because my birthday is on the 28th of December. So the week of Christmas actually has two celebrations in it. And before any rumours start about my age, I was 57. Someone said to me, 21 again. I can honestly say no, thank you. I'm a completely different person at the age of 57 than I was at 21. And I think I actually prefer and like the 57-year-old version of me. Having this week of being creative also means that it takes me a while to get back into the swing of things. I've spent too many hours on the city um, that's the sofa for the majority of you watching films and eating food and to be honest with you both my brain and my body are frantically resisting the gravitational pull of work. But All this means is that it is the 29th today and this episode needs to be scripted, recorded, edited and published all for the 1st of January. So now I am straight out of relaxation mode into panic mode to get this episode out on time. And if you're listening to this on time, then phew, I made it. Before we get on to one of the main segments, I just wanted to talk about RPG Christmas presents. I follow a lot of RPGers on X, formerly known as Twitter, and there were so many images of their RPG presents. These range from new rule sets to modules and game aids. There were a lot of miniature figures that needed to be painted as well, something that I think the younger generation call minis, I might be wrong about that. I used to paint miniature figures for cash when I was growing up in my teenage years. I would charge 50 pence per figure painted. I've always been keen to set up businesses, but never had I any idea about costing or business plans. It seems that if your hobby is role-playing games, then family and friends should never struggle to provide you with presents, whether or not these be for Christmas, birthday or any other celebration. If you did get some RPG presents over the festive period, then I hope you have enjoyed reading or engaging with them, or you are looking forward to doing it. Anyway, enough waffle, let's get on with the first segment of this episode – what I learnt being a player. If you've watched any of my content, then you will have realised that I am generally a GM in games. It is very, very, very rare that I get the opportunity to play. But when this does happen, I always seize the opportunity. The first time I got to play Mythras was with Lawrence Whitaker when he GM'd a Leoness adventure for us that I really enjoyed. I was therefore really pleased when Dan True offered to GM the introductory adventure from the soon to be published Book of Schemes. After grabbing the only pre-gen character that had magic, I was looking forward to playing, but I had a huge shock in store. I have to quickly add that it wasn't anything about the game or sessions that shocked me. The shock was how poor I am at playing. Dan was an excellent GM and I really saw my fellow players in a completely different light. They were excellent when I was playing alongside them. However, I personally learned so much from the sessions about being a player i always thought that being a gm i my skills that i have as a gm could be easily transferable to playing the game but i was so so wrong so I wanted to share with you what I've learned about being a player and what changes I have made to my campaigns and my mindset in light of this. First up, how creative players are. When I first started to GM, my adventures were very linear players had to do something to move on to the next segment of the storyline. This often resulted me in trying to direct the players to what they needed to do and then exclaiming phrases such as at last and then moving on. As I've developed my skills as a GM, I've changed the way I plan my adventures so there is no set way for the players to do something. It is up to the players how they achieve it before we move on or they gain a piece of information. On a completely side note, can I just say that developing as a GM online in full view of everyone is really quite scary. So thank you uh, for anybody who's given me support with that. I often thought that players sometimes go the long way round to achieve an aim Or they come up with what I, as the GM, consider strange or illogical choices. However, playing and listening to my fellow players, I now realise that this is not the case at all. What players do is that they look at their characters and think how can their characters with their skills achieve their aims. Their choices or methods are very logical according to their character and the information they have. As a GM, they always appear illogical to me because I am coming from a different standpoint. In the second session of Book of Schemes, I think I play slightly better because I try to implement this to my character instead of trying to find the best or the most logical approach i tried to be creative with the skills that my character had can i say i was super very super proud of my creative use of the ventriloquism spell in the second session next up dice rolls are difficult I've seen a lot of character generation and used the Mithras Encounter website to import opponents into roll 20. When I've looked at skill rolls, I have thought 52, that's going to be super easy to achieve. Even though I'm a mathematician at heart and understand probability, I still say to myself that some rolls are going to be easier than others. What I always failed to recognise as a GM up to now, is that despite the skill looking like it could be easy or hard to roll, sometimes the actual dice make their own decision. Despite my character having a folk magic skill of 60%, I failed so many times. In the first session I actually thought my incognito spell would never come off and I don't think it ever did. As a player this got me quite disappointed or despondent about my skill in the character. Now once again I would like to say that Dan was an excellent GM and I feel that I as a GM have actually um, improved listening to how Dan dealt, dealt with these situations, but also being a player. I feel that I now have a better understanding about how important skill checks are to certain players and their characters. If it's going to be a really important skill check, then I feel that I need to suggest ways to support that skill check. For example, using augmentation or taking minutes to reduce the difficulty, or, you know, using look points, which I'm going to talk about more in a minute. I think sometimes the dice support our games and our narratives, while other times they can completely be unsupportive. And as a GM, I think those are the times that I need to be more aware and start to think about, do I need the players to make a dice roll here? If they do, can I adjust its difficulty, especially if that skill roll is part of that character? And yes, I know, I hear what you're saying. Sometimes constantly failing at a skill can actually make a character as well and so we're probably looking at some kind of a balance here and finally let's look at linking dice rolls to the use of luck points there are so many decisions you players have to make about when to use your luck points i generally thought if you failed an important role use a luck point to alter it but what is an important role when should you use luck and when should you not use it if my npc or opponents have luck points then they generally just use them for combat so i have no issue using them when they're in dire need but as players you have so many opportunities to use your luck you have to choose wisely No wonder players sometimes get right to the end of the session with only one luck point remaining. Seriously, I understand why now. Because there are so many opportunities and you have to make that decision that hopefully you don't regret later on in the game. I have also implemented a new use of luck. Um, after being a player in the two sessions this is going to be called the nudge roll the most frustrating fails i experienced as a player was when i missed the success by one or two percent rolling my folk magic skill of 60 percent and gaining a 61 or a 62 i was gutted so now we can use a luck in a way called the nudge this allows you to change any skill roll that failed by 1 or 2% into a success. We might even extend this to be up to 5%. No need to re roll or swap numbers around, just nudge it into success. I am being, am I being too kind here or even too strict saying that the skill that is 1% of should still be a fail? be really interesting what you fellow gms do out there do you let it succeed if it's one or two percent off or is it hard luck you failed i might not get the opportunity to play again for a long while but i really enjoyed the experiences and i've learned so much about the game and being a gm that will definitely enhance our future sessions It has also made me very much aware how brilliant players are and how their skill set is completely different to that of a GM. Thanks to Dan for providing me with the opportunity to flex my player muscles once again. It was truly fantastic. With the start of the new year, my Excel spreadsheet for content for 2024 is quite empty. So please, if you would like to contribute to the podcast or provide me a topic that you would like us to cover, then why not drop me an email or message? You can. We're always looking for reviews or topics or interviews or just people who want to contribute to the chat. So if you're interested, you can email me at inwills at gmail.com or send me a message on the Discord or forums that I frequent. Okay, time for maybe a rant or plea, depending how you see it. As a group, we play a number of different campaigns, although they're all part of the design mechanism family. Currently, we are playing Fantasy Mithras, Classic Fantasy, M-Space, Destined, and soon after the Vampire Wars. As we move from setting to setting, we don't need to learn any completely new rules, only the various nuances that each rule set has. One thing that we want to ensure is that the basic rules stay the same. So we don't have to start to think, oh, we can't do this in fantasy Mithras, but we can do it in M space, etc. So one of the rules that I've been butting heads with for a number of months, well, probably years, is movement in combat. Okay. I really enjoy the theater of the mind sessions, but find that combat works a lot better if we're all looking at exactly the same situation on World 20. This allows players to see where they are, where things are, and then they can operate within that environment and they can interact specifically with objects and opponents, and they can decide on their actions, which includes their movement. However, the amount of movement characters can make and the actions they can perform has changed consi- considerably. From the Mythras core rulebook, a character who's not engaged in combat can move up to any distance considered reasonable to the GM. Well, the Mythras companion that has the section on tactical combat removes the move action completely and players decide on a gate for the combat round both mithras and classic fantasy allow characters to move and strike if their movement means that they are engaged with an opponent at the end but there is then the rule about charging that completely confuses me Destin, the most recently published rule set, introduces us to the concept of quick movement. That is one third of the character's overall movement speed. This can then be completed in conjunction with other actions. For example, you can attack and perform a quick movement, but you can't complete a full movement and attack. But then we have the difference between walking, running and sprinting. If a character has a base movement of 6 metres, with them running being 18 metres and sprinting 30 metres, hope that I've got my maths correct there, how does running and sprinting affect combat? Can you sprint into combat? Or is only walking allowed? I recognise that the whole combat round lasts but 5 seconds, But can you still sprint in five seconds and do something else? There is then the issue of actions. So a character who has two actions could take half its movement in the first turn and the rest in their second. But what about someone who has three action points? How does the movement work for them? When they start talking about charging, I get completely lost because they have to, I think this is correct, they have to spend the whole round moving. So a character with two action points take two actions charging. But in the same situation, a character with three action points has to sacrifice all three actions to charge. I get completely lost. It appears that there's so many variations in settings that it is difficult to decide what is best. Coupled with this, and thank you to the people who pointed this out to me, the scales on maps can also add another level of complexity. For example, in one game, even the viewer spotted and asked why the scale was 1 square equals 3 metres or 10 foot this very strange scales made the opponent look closer but when the characters actually started to move they had to use the majority of their movement just to reach halfway to the enemy this last issue is probably the easiest to solve and i've made the scale of my maps more reasonable so that moving on the characters will not have to spend a whole round getting to their opponents. However, I am still floundering around with combat and movement. Initially, my feeling is to say you can move how far you want or what seems reasonable, but I find that this can result in a lot of chat about the rules while in combat, which I personally as a GM prefer to avoid. I want to focus more on the combat and the accompanying narrative. I like the idea from Destined and other games that you can only do a certain amount of your movement with certain actions. But I am yet to see this in action and it actually work. Especially, say, for Rabbit, who has super speed... How far can she actually move turn by turn and how many, how many times can she actually strike? I told you it would maybe seem as a bit of a rant, but I am trying to provide solutions as well. With the change of the map scale and the implementation of most of the destined rules for movement, I feel that I'm on my way with the solution. I still have issues about running sprinting and charging so more thoughts needed about this especially charging into combat if you have all this sorted then please do drop me a message on discord or on the tapper talk forums and let me know how you did it alternatively this would be fantastic let's get a panel together and discuss all things about movement on the podcast for an episode this year any volunteers you are you would all be most welcome okay i feel much better with all that off my chest breathe and calm movement will happen and that's it another episode of mithras matters completed don't forget you can check out all my content by following my YouTube channel and the campaign areas of World Anvil. All the links are in the show notes below. I really appreciate your support and do check out the Tappertalk forums and the Discord where there are some great people sharing their ideas within discussions. So until next time, have a great month of gaming and I will chat to you all in February that I find difficult to say. Until then, I hope all your opposed roles succeed and provide you with a well-deserved special. Thanks for listening, everyone. See ya. Bye. content of this podcast is covered by the creative commons attribution 3.0 license so please give appropriate credit if you are sharing or copying any part of this podcast thank you